You know it's time to do it major. Here's to the hustlers, the movers and shakers. Get up on your grind. Don't let the haters get ya. I know that you got a vision. Now it's time to deliver. Yeah, yeah. Giving you the tools, helping you to grow. Level up, time to shine like you never did before. Let them know. More than a podcast, it's a mindset. You can do anything, you just gotta keep grinding. Let's go. The Entrepreneur Adventure. Hey, the entrepreneur adventure. You ready? Hey. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's funny how people get intimidated about big corporations. Like, I want to sell to Coca-Cola or I want to sell to Target. Well, th- those organizations are just made up of people just like you and I. So it, it does come down to relationship and community and, and you know, trying to listen more than we talk and, and ask really good questions. Welcome back to the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast, where we give you the tools to climb higher and faster than ever before. We have with us in the studio today, Mr. Davis Knox, co-founder and CEO of Fire and Flavor. If you ever wondered what it takes to design a product and then sell it nationally, this is the episode for you. And with that, I'll turn it over to our hosts, Josh Melton and Chad Brown. Welcome, entrepreneurs, to another episode on the Entrepreneur Adventure. I'm really excited today. Our guest I've known of for a very long time, at least 10 years. I don't think we've ever met before today. Our guest today, Davis Knox, co-founder, Fire and Flavor, nationally distributed company. You do grilling products. You do product development. You're based here in Athens, Georgia. Welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks. Happy to be here. And, uh, Excited for what you guys are doing for our local community, so I want to start off with that. So. Oh, man, we're just trying to catch up to you. Uh, you've done so much here, continue to do a lot of different things for the entrepreneurs in the Athens community, and that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today. And yeah, we actually got the domain name, davisknoxwannabes.com, and it's a picture <laughs> of me and Chad, front and center. We actually had to pay for it, you know? Yeah, yeah, it was already taken out there. So. <laughs> but no, a lot of, a lot of similar interest and... In, uh, a lot of us yeah. out there uh, trying to go in the same direction, and us all getting in the same room today is it's going to be fun. It's going to be a great episode. We're going to learn a ton, man. You have paved the way and figured some stuff out that most of us entrepreneurs never get to. So getting to hear some of that and share that and talk about being an entrepreneur, talking about education and giving back and protecting the environment and the outdoors and the things you're passionate about. Davis has done so much. I don't even know where to start, it Josh. Really is. Where you get into this, this thing, thing it's like some people, they're a one-trick pony. You're like, I know exactly what we're going to talk about today. But with Davis, he's been engaged and involved, uh, entrepreneurial in so many different ways. It's been cool to watch. And I think the starting block of that, though, is this is the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast. You are an entrepreneur, so tell us how you got started as an entrepreneur. How'd you kick this thing off for yourself? Yes, uh, happy to be here again. Um, so for me, entrepreneurship, you know, I, I knew at a young age that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but figuring that out was hard and kind of the, the, uh, the landscape and the, the structure of who's going to help you be an entrepreneur. I was searching for that even when I was in high school and started a small business at that point in time. So when I came to Georgia... Oh, what was the small business in high school? Because uh, <laughs> Chad tried to start a kissing booth, and he went bankrupt on the first day. A l- little embarrassing, but uh, I was a DJ. So I DJed oh, middle yeah. school dances. DJ uh, Davis. It was a great little business. I mean, I worked four hours a month. I made about $3,000 a year, and I had 
a par- had all the equipment to have a party after we did the, the middle school dance. So. That oh, you like this? So yeah, so they I just got out a few, and the money wasn't the motivating factor behind this venture <laughs> oh, in the beginning. Man, I, that's a great. Venture. I would have paid to be a DJ. Uh, oh, dances um, when I was in school. Oh, and he also he, he bought all this equipment he wanted as a tax write-off. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Win, win. What well, a, I always so invited a friend, guy. and I would pay them twenty dollars to play the music. So I would just sit back and wink at those oh, pretty man, girls. You, you know, were, you were like CEO <laughs> entrepreneur from day one. Oh, man. it was so fun. Oh, so you're much so fun. much smarter than the rest of us were. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so. Yeah, when I landed at George, I was I was looking around. I was like, "Where are the entrepreneurs?" You know, I, I got into yeah. business school, and um, the business school's great. The business school at at Georgia has evolved uh, tremendously over the years, and it's been fun to be involved on on, on that uh, board as well, uh, the young alumni board for the Terry College of Business. Um, but yeah, uh, becoming an entrepreneur when I got out of Georgia, I was like, "Okay, what's the first step if you want to be an entrepreneur?" Most people say, "Let you should go to work for somebody." That is an entrepreneur, and for me, my passion was the outdoors. So here I am, headed straight to Vail, Colorado. And nice. uh, you know, my parents were kind of scratching their head. They're like, "What? What? What are you doing? Where are you going? And who are you going to work for?" And um, you know, I figured that out rather quickly, and, and went to work for a, a large uh, um, brand and retailer called Gorsuch uh, out in the Vail Valley, and that was kind of a family away from home, and. Uh, gave me kind of a start in small business and, and entrepreneurship with uh, with folks that had done it really well. So, what part of Georgia are you from? Georgia originally? I grew up in Augusta, so okay. most of the Knox is the home base is Thompson, but uh, a lot of them still in Augusta. All right, so you went to a very similar community. You, you cruised on out to Colorado. <laughs> very different. <laughs> yeah, this is funny because it's it is good to see like you know you're in a Athens and Augusta obviously have their differences, but there's some some similarities there too. And then you go out to Colorado. Get some experience working for entrepreneurs. You said you were there for how long? I was there two years. I helped open a fly fishing business. So we had a uh, shooting sports and fly fishing outfit. We had about 25 guides, and it was awesome. I mean, I got to be kind of a general manager and, and uh, oversee the buying of the, of the merchandise in the store and that kind of stuff. So, you know, I was really learning the nuts and bolts of how to run a small business you know, how to do scheduling and managing employees and all those things that you kind of take for granted and you're, you're curious about when you're young, you know, um, but it was a great experience. That's cool too, because to this day, you're still an avid fly fisherman. Fly, oh yeah. Fly fisherman. You know, that's something you guys, you love, right? That's one trips. of my favorite things to do, especially teaching people to fly fish. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so on the front end, that's pretty cool too. Your first gig coming out of college is doing something that you absolutely love. Oh yeah. Passionate about. Oh, so, yeah. All right. So what would ever bring you to leave? You're well, in Colorado. Yeah. Sounds like you're living the Colorado. dream. I mean, <laughs> doing his work. Yeah, yeah, loves what he's doing. I'm getting work. paid uh, to be a part of this outfit. Your, your listeners can probably figure out the story. The woman enters the picture. Ah, yeah. <laughs> which makes sense because I used to spend a lot of my time fly fishing, and then I got married, and it has slowly yes, yes, continued indeed. to disappear. Yeah. But man, does he love shopping now? He's a phenomenal <laughs> shopper. I'm a fly shopper. Hey, if you're not gonna go, you gotta look the part. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's where my wife Jenna. We first started our courtship in Colorado, and she started okay. even a, a little business called Jenna's Gourmet out there, which was selling like uh, salts and feta spreads and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that's where we met and where we decided to kind of come back to Georgia together, and that was in the year two thousand. So. Oh yeah. So so Crazy came back. Year. Did y'all come to Atlanta or come to Athens or? We came to Atlanta, and mm-hmm. uh, my wife Jenna was originally a landscape architect, so she okay. was working in that trade. Once we got back to yeah. Atlanta, and I picked the next entre- entrepreneur to work for a guy named Frank Argenbright, uh, and and Frank was was wonderful. We uh, 
God, that experience was really crazy. We we basically scaled. I, I'd say we because I was kind of working for the C-suite uh, as kind of the corporate grunt about age 24, and we scaled to 4,000 employees in two years. This wow. was right after 9-11. So that was one of this kind of front row seat experiences. Good grief. And just you know, rocket oh, yeah. ship business. Wait, what was what business was this in? Like what industry? Aviation. So okay. he, Frank Argenbright, had uh, had been the eight hundred pound grill on airport security. So his his business, uh, Argenbright Security, was doing all the checkpoints oh. at that point in time. So of course we all know the story. The TSA obviously was formed and took over um, that aspect of uh, of security in our airports. So he formed a business after that that was going to be all the labor contracts in the airport, and that, that became AirServe. Nice. So, wow. Yeah. So you got a front row seat for that. I did. I was kind of the mar- I was the marketing manager, but I did a little bit of everything and helped deploy a technology that's still in, still in use, a, a version of that, and all the United hubs and all the Delta hubs. So every time so. I'm in line to get on a plane, if I'm mad, I can I can somewhat get mad at you. <laughs> Davis Knox. Maybe. So that's my favorite See, new customer. Sort of logo. You're like, ah, I know that guy. <laughs> so, so during this journey, were these uh, opportunities you were taking advantage of in Colorado and back here in Georgia, was it with the mindset of I am learn, getting paid to learn how to start my own business? So that exactly. was the plan all along is I, I'm going to find – people and places to work for to gain experience to do my own thing exactly and that when i went to mr argenbright that's what i said to him. okay I said, so you were up front like hey i'm yeah uh, he wanted a five-year pledge i said i'll give you two and uh, i said this is my mba you're going to teach me and I'm, I'm signing up for whatever you can throw at me and that was that was the beginning of our relationship and it ended up that i left about two years later because we started fire and flavor about one year into that so if somebody comes to job. you right now if the young Davis Knox comes and is like, look, man, I'll, I'll be whatever you want me to be for two years because I want to learn. This is my master's. Are you hiring that guy? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. that that yeah, those yes. are the only people that I want to actually work for me, quite <laughs> Isn't it funny? Because <laughs> it's like, you know, there's so many problems to solve, and you need people with, you know, the drive and the curiosity yeah. to yeah. just figure it out. It's so funny because I think any entrepreneur um, that that's that's good, if you ask that question, they're like, Yeah. Because that guy in two years will yeah. do more than most most team members will do in ten. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> we'll be so much further. I, I, I want him to come work with me for two years, and then I want to invest in what oh, he's yeah. going to do. Exactly. That. Yeah, like, I, I need some capital. I want to be a shareholder in like whatever he's doing next. <laughs> but yeah. you know, he's got that hunger. So that's awesome. So yeah. I gotta, all right, this is a little background question. Have you ever read the book Rich Dad Poor Dad? A long time ago, actually, when I was working for Frank, I, I read that. Okay, well, yep. the book suggests that idea of like when you're first starting out your career, go work jobs like. He says, work to learn, not to earn. Don't worry about the money. You're just trying to get the skills. Absolutely. You're trying to advance. And it sounds like both of your first couple of jobs. Let like, oh, me chase my passion here, do this thing. I learned a lot here. Let me move on. I know your yep. your wife helped you with moving from Colorado back to Georgia. But, <laughs> but you did that <laughs> same thing. Light. and get, you, you, you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, maybe by osmosis before you actually read it. Uh, because you were doing what he was telling you to do. Like, hey, get in here, learn everything you can learn, get your education, and then move on. Absolutely. That's pretty cool, man. All right, so you're there. Well, well, hold on now. You, start. You, you say pretty cool. Pretty cool is like the understatement of the episode. Well, you did say at the beginning. You're like, I've been so excited right about this episode. Right now, his resume Davis. is, yeah, I was a DJ <laughs> for parties and dances. <laughs> I helped build an empire around the outdoor outfitter and fly fishing industry. Um, I helped scale this awesome aviation business. I don't know that you get any more glamorous and sexy on paper than like what you'd built from yeah. the, to, at that point. And it's like, how old are you again? He's like 24. Wh- where do you go? Ego up. Where I'm going to get made fun of this. Yeah. I mean, 
Like you could, you're talking to a guy that's like, yeah, I'm in accounting. You know, the, the funny thing, Chad, is that Davis said he had that DJ business in college, or excuse me, in high school, but he's probably still got it. He's got some like <laughs> underground. That thing scaled. It's like <laughs> he, he's the most famous person we've ever had on the podcast. <laughs> I did notice a little smell of like champagne, expensive champagne and stuff. You know, when he came in. Come on, no, definitely uh, best decision. Married so, my wife. You know, he's been looking at our audio so, equipment for all yeah. of us. He's been super judgmental of all <laughs> of our like, stuff. Now he's Mike's man, these things are terrible. Oh, so, um, you guys started Fire Flavor a year in to this job. We did, yeah. Two thousand three. You scale out of the job a year, a year later. No, no stable income at that point. No W two job for either of you. Well, it was it was Jenna in? first. So Jenna, okay. I said, okay, I talked her into resigning from her landscape architecture okay. job. Yeah. So she went full tilt into you know promoting this. It, the first product was cedar grilling planks. So okay. we were kind of popularizing that concept. And she is a bulldog through and through and just went after it, you know, yeah. and blew my mind how much she was able to sell, you know, to the point where, you know, about 18 months in, we had we had hit a million in revenue and we were ready to rock. So I was kind of like, okay, I can quit now, <laughs> you know. So it wasn't like we were really taking that leap okay, into so it wasn't no income. Right, let's eat Raymond Noodles uh, every yeah. month for six months. Y'all, yeah. y'all were able to build it into the last She, month. Yeah, she Damn. struck the match and, and got it burning. Awesome. So, yeah. All right, so let's talk about that concept really quick. This is something that really didn't, really didn't exist before, right? It's kind of like right. bringing yep. a new idea to market. And like you said, it was able to take off. How long was the idea in origination? Like, did you guys already have an idea for this type of thing when you're in Colorado? Was there like a strike the match moment? You're like, hold on a second. Like, how did the idea come? Well, you know, we my wife loves to cook first and foremost, and her she grew up around a, a mom who had a catering business, and so that she's constantly reading culinary magazines, and so the concept of plank grilling was kind of coming up in the restaurant trade. And so you didn't see it as a retail product yet, but you had local chefs. There was a guy named Michael Tui who had a, a restaurant in Atlanta. Um, I think it was called the Woodfire Grill, if I, if I recall correctly. But he was using cedar planks, and we quickly called him up and, and picked his brain. He became kind of our first ambassador. So Jenna makes a product. She takes it down to the Atlanta Merchandise Mart. She comes back after two days with her mom. I call it the lemonade stand you know, approach. They had $6,000 in a cash box and I'm going $6,000. You're selling them $5 a piece. You know, there's, that's a lot of market validation right there. Oh yeah. And so that was, that was really when we were like, okay, we're going to go down to fresh market. We're going to see what Kroger wants. And she literally got in the car and took off down the street. This is kind of pre Instagram, Shopify. It like was. The idea of starting your own online platform at that point didn't yep. really exist. So you were, you're like, I got to figure out how to distribute That's this right. product. And, and we quickly figured out that we wanted to be a wholesaler. We wanted to sell oh, okay. to retailers and not sell direct. You didn't want to go direct. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's why we went after the fresh market, the Whole Foods and the Kroger in Atlanta. And um, so how did you, you, how do you start there? What do you? That was, yeah, I mean. How'd you get in the door for these places? That was my wife all the way. How the heck do you do that? <laughs> I mean, she literally just bulldogged her way in to, to meeting some of these people. Wouldn't the, take no for an answer? Yeah. I mean, there's a guy named John Bowler at Whole Foods. I literally, he thinks of Jenna as his daughter to this day <laughs> because he gave her that opportunity. But every time he gave her an opportunity, she excelled and gave him more than what he wanted. Oh, so that amazing. was kind of the first region that we had for the cedar planks was there in Atlanta for Whole Foods. And of course, Whole Foods was 
just coming out of the ground yeah. about that time. And so this was uh, this was kind of the hot new retailer, and it was fun to be riding their you know their coattails. And quite honestly, we would say to ourselves, any product that Whole Foods wants, we will develop as a company because that that was really our only litmus test for what uh, what we should be developing. So, so it was not only we want to sell this product with you, we want to develop other products. Other products. And continue to supply whatever needs you have. And That's you, right. What year really was this? This was, two th- well, we started in 2003. This was 2004, yeah, that she's kind of, I think four and five is when we were getting into Whole Foods. Okay, and so it's yeah. interesting, too, because so from a timings perspective, in the business world, like, the economy's cruising at this point. Like, things That's are, right. like, picking up and yep. gaining steam for several years. Um, so th- I think sometimes, too, we say that, luck favors the bold, right? Like, you know, if you're getting out there, you guys hit a wave too, as far as like you we said, did. like Whole Foods is a little smaller. They're about to hit this big trend of growing. Um, you guys have the idea. You execute without mercy. Like you said, exactly. <laughs> like, I remember making this thing happen. But you're able to like capitalize on a good moment with a good idea. And not to say like timing is everything, as I don't think it is, but timing was definitely on your side in this moment. You guys had a good idea and the right timing for it. Yep. Yeah, we scaled. Uh, really, our story during that kind of five to seven year span is we grew way too fast. Like we got we got into ten thousand stores in five years. Whoa, we were on the Inc. Five Hundred in two thousand nine. We were number two sixty four, fastest growing business in America. Yeah, yeah, number eight in the food and beverage business. Um, so it it was yeah, it kind of blew our mind, but we were just in the middle of it. You and, also were in a company. Yeah, we. You're you're like the company you left. Scaled at a level that was exactly ridiculous because of a timing thing too. There, right? So I mean, it's like you. I think that's the maybe a key thing here is like, did you feel like you were growing too fast with Fire and Flavor at the time? Because you just come out of this business. Well, what I remember, what I remember thinking is, you know, AirServe scaled quickly to a national footprint. They were going after the hubs of Delta and United, and I said, okay, I want to start a business where we scale immediately to a national footprint even if it's on a limited within the, the retail chain footprint, so 100 Kroger shorts versus 2,400, but going geographically wide. Because if you can test across multiple markets what you're selling, you have a platform to kind of scale up from, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so, you know, in the, in the consumer goods business, you're really just trying to test the, what we call velocity. When you put it on the shelf, how quickly does it, does it sell off? How many units do you sell in a week? That's kind of the key metric. And um, we were seeing success because people were so curious about cedar planks. We didn't have to do a lot of marketing. And uh, people were seeing it at restaurants. And, you know, when a, when a merchant, like a Kroger merchant or one of the a merchant is a buyer, someone who's over a category of goods, when they look at a product like that and they see it's such high margin and it takes up such little space on their shelf, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Because you're not, you're, what you're selling is not some huge product. Exactly. Oh, that's that's yep. interesting. How are on the back end you figuring out the supply chain and the labor force behind it? Because obviously, selling is one thing, but supplying is a great the whole other beast. You know, for many years we were always we were always asking ourselves: Should we invest in the salesman or should we invest in the operator? Yeah. Because we didn't have the money to to invest in both employees. And we always chose the salesman, and I think it was it, to, our, to our detriment. We probably should have chosen the operator, even though we were able to figure out the supply chain. Um, we were just, I guess, salesmen ourselves, so salesmen like to get sold. You know, <laughs> you're like, okay, nice salesman wants in. Yes, yeah. I want to, I want to hang out with you yeah. all day. Yes. You know, 
But from a supply chain, we were we were lucky to have a couple relationships just fall in our lap. Um, pe- the 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 world of Western Red Cedar, which is what cedar planks are made of, mm-hmm. it's rather small. You know, you're talking products that are made for fencing and different. There's only so many SKUs that are kind of made from Western Red Cedar. Okay. Those people noticed us pretty quickly. Some of the largest producers of that noticed us and kind of called us and said, we want to be your supplier. And they still are to this day. So Uh, that's really cool. Man, so you built such an attractive model that you had people coming to you. Oh, okay. These guys are... And I guess, too, it's a whole different product for them because you're small pieces which means they could probably utilize just the, uh, yeah, the fall down model. Yeah. So a manufacturing awesome. plant has fall down. So they're, you know, if you're running a, a, a sawmill, you're just trying to drive recovery. How much can you get sure. out of a log? And so it was just the perfect puzzle piece for their, yeah. for their business. That's probably a expense for them that they were to turn into a, another profit center. Exactly. Now, were yeah. you guys the first to successfully market this particular product on a wide frame? We were. Yeah. And, and, you know, when we looked uh, in the industry, we saw just a handful of big players like Kingsford and Royal Oak. And, and that always attracted us is that it wasn't a real fractured marketplace with, you know, a thousand competitors. We were going to go against really big, big competitors. But what we knew is that the big guys are slow. Mm. So. so this is awesome. So you've got the biggest players in the game there on the grilling side uh, as a competitor and instead of having fear or some mindset of worry there you saw that as a huge positive opportunity absolutely absolutely. they're slow we can move faster we can adapt quicker we can do things well the merchants that we were talking to were asking us for new products you know and and if if a kingsford is slow to come to market with products and you're faster they'll give you the opportunity especially if they have the space and you can prove Mm. that you can make yeah. sales happen yeah man that's so interesting so <laughs> this is funny too but two things one thing is i remember you just listening to you talk right now it made me think of like one of the first like big chamber events i went to so me and davis were on the <clears throat> athens chamber board for i don't know, probably a couple of years together but i remember going to y'all had some like grand opening or something for the new facility you have so not the bottle works one but the out at the warehouse yeah, yeah. we did like a big chamber event out there yes. one day we're like touring around and stuff and i was like man this place is awesome and you guys were y'all were like the kind of power couple power story of Athens business. I mean, it was just this, this crazy, awesome thing. But that being said, all the stuff you just shared with us, I'm like, Oh man, how much fun would it have been if the the TV show shark tank was rolling back then? And these guys were on it yeah. from the standpoint of what you're going like, Yeah, we got this product and it's like popular in these suppliers and the bidding war you guys would have been, would have been having insane. between all these guys that are doing this. So, it's crazy. At, at this point, is it, okay, we're going to keep growing and we're going to keep building this business out of Athens, or are you thinking it's going to spread to other facilities, or was the plan to sell at some point with some exit strategy? Or Well, we were trying to grow it. We really wanted to get, you know, we wanted to grow it and then sell it at some point, but yeah. we really need, needed a lot more scale than what we even had at, at that point in our growth okay. cycle. Um, How did you have this knowledge, by the way, to know this? To, at that point, you, yeah, you're saying? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know how it is. You, you have to network with people that are, that are going to help you. So a lot of times we would, um, I'm trying to remember how we were finding our, our mentors at that particular time, but obviously you go to trade shows, you meet all kind of people. I mean, the, the piles of business cards I have from that. Um, 
oftentimes when I went to a trade show and my, my employees would make fun of me because I'd never stay in the booth, I'd go, I'd go introduce myself to the CEOs of every startup that I admired. And Which I is just, exactly what you should be doing. I loved it. And Don't I still anchor yourself that. to the trade booth. Be yeah. the guy going and meeting everybody. And so that was really how I, how I was kind of bouncing, pinging off of these other guys that okay. were doing cool stuff. And it blows my mind some of the successes that some of those people have, have had. And I kind of take a little bit of pride that we were able to kind of trend spot mm-hmm. with certain entrepreneurs like, this yeah. guy's going to be a rock star one day. And sure enough, you know. So it's that same mindset you had coming out of college. Let me build relationships uh, and let me plug in with the people out That's there. That's right. Strategic relationships to, as well. It's already doing the things I want to do. That's right. Uh, from, yep. from so this example. is a theme for you too, Davis, is that you're, we say building relationships or networking, but ultimately what you're doing is you're building community. Exactly. Like, all right, we can, hey, man, we're neighbors in the same industry. So like, well, let's, let's figure out how we can leverage up together instead of just being like, compete. I want to, I want to get a leg up on Chad. I don't want him to know what's going on. It's like, no, actually like if we have some synergy here, figure out what we're doing, like how can we help each other? We can scale up a lot faster. So you've been doing that since day one. It sounds like. Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's funny how people get intimidated about big corporations. Like I want to sell to Coca-Cola or I want to sell to Target. Well, th- those organizations are just made up of people just like you and I. So yeah. it, it does come down to relationship and community and, and, you know, trying to listen more than we talk and, and ask really good questions. And uh, I remember at one point in our growth cycle, I tried to write down like how I like to sell to train my employees. And it was a lot about that. It was like, you know, you don't need to be here spewing all the features and benefits. You need to be asking really good questions about what problems we should be solving. So yeah, that's, that's good. That's really good. So yeah. I had a question so for you. It. The early days, especially. <clears throat> one of the things I remember about what you guys were selling was your marketing. Your wife's picture was on everything, right? Oh, yeah. Whose idea was that? <laughs> I don't know that it was her idea, but I certainly endorsed it because she was much better looking than I was and uh, much ta- much more talented, too. Jenna is just uh, a natural on, on camera and, and all these types of things. Of course, she wrote three cookbooks during, you know, uh, I guess it was 2008 to 2014 um, that we self-published. And she's just kind of a natural talent in that way and... Um, you know, it's funny because a lot of people, as we were growing this national brand, we had opportunities to attach celebrities to the brand. And we always kind of came back to, well, we have Jenna, you know, let's let Jenna kind of be that um, it, little, little, you know, fork in the road. And we started having kids because it was like, OK, we want to stay in Athens. Like we had people wanting her to do the Food Network at one point, you know, and we were talking about it saying, golly, we don't want to have I don't want to have my wife live in six months of the year in New York City, <laughs> yeah. you know. Stuff like that. So. But it was brilliant marketing. That's one of the things. So back in those early days, I remember. I was like, they're not selling wood planks. You're selling Jenna. Like, she was on the things. And so instead of me just looking at it, like, the, from the you know packaging, we're at Kroger, and I'm looking, oh, there's wood planks. Like, no, I would see your wife's picture. And I was like, and, and, this is just good fortune. But she's got a marketable name. She does. Right? Yeah. So it's Jenna Knox. Like, it's just a cool name. Her picture's on the thing. The packaging and all that stuff was just perfect. I just, I, I never forget that, man. I was in my early 20s or mid 20s. I'm like, man, these guys got it right on their pack. Like, they marketed their product correctly because it wasn't just the wood plank. If you go to the store to buy it, there's this beautiful blonde haired co founder of the business that is selling you the product right there on the shelf. I was like, oh, man, that is so it good. It, it worked, worked really good. 
<laughs> well, you know, we're still passionate about this, and this is really what we started the business around was getting people to cook more at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jenna's she's a big health nut. She loves to eat very healthy. I mean, she basically doesn't eat any processed food. So, you know, we started looking out in the landscape of how much bad stuff people eat. We're like, this is a no-brainer. If we can be the company that just focuses on better-for-you products, that's kind of the, the term in the industry, better-for-you then that's a winning strategy right there. And that kind of ties back into why we chose products that Whole Foods would accept because they were the first major grocer to set the better for you standard, if you will. Yeah. And did that come, uh, obviously we're in Georgia, we're in the deep South. Uh, We are slower to navigate to that sort of mindset of food and, and how we deal with things we consume. But in Colorado, I assume that was, uh, a much uh, more graduated process and accepted mentality mindset at the time. It was, it was. I mean, you have kind of more uh, bleeding edge kind of companies and retailers out west, particularly, uh-huh. and you still do, especially in the in the food space. Uh, but what we have in the south is we have these really solid block and tackle grocers like Kroger and Publix, mm-hmm. and it's coming through this pandemic. I mean, just watching how those two. They're two of my biggest customers, but how they have operated and the stability that they've offered to all of us as their consumers, it's it blows your mind. I mean, these are like like Publix is employee owned. That's um, something I think most people take for granted. They don't even notice. But if you go out west, you know a lot of these a lot of these other regions, the Northeast, out west, it's you know you've got companies that are that the ownership has changed a lot, the management structure has changed, mm-hmm. and they're just not run as well as. Okay. what we have here in the south so it's it's a pleasure to do business with those guys and it's a pleasure to shop there but of course that's the the slogan for for Publix. but yeah that's, so it's been kind of that's really fortunate. cool so what other kind of different products did you guys develop over these years isn't it that's one of the things you said is like hey we were in the we were in the game with whole foods if they needed us to develop something we were going to try to lean in that direction uh what other things did fire and flavor produce well we wanted we did develop a lot of products too many products um okay. I'm going to kind of give a little bit of a tip here. We we got into so many product categories. So like when you sell a product to a Kroger, there's one buyer for charcoal and planks and another buyer for seasonings, oftentimes another buyer for sauces. So you can imagine, and we did this, we went through and we developed seasonings, we developed bronze, we developed obviously the cookbooks, whole other category. Um, we started getting into... Um, just all kind of other little kind of gadget products that uh, some failed, some did not. But what we realized is that um, we needed to stay in our lane, which was our category that we were already in. Because the more that we went out and tried to start stuff that was in totally different categories, whole nother sales cycle, whole nother touch point, you know, different relationships, different, um, you know, metrics of how you measure success. And oftentimes the you know, kind of the marginality or like the the um, the measure of of whether it's worth it or not was kind of declining in these other categories. We were already in a profitable category, and we should have stayed there. Mm. Um, you know, and and that's that's that that's kind of made me you know go, oh man, we really uh, we really took a bad step there because capital is so precious to go towards inventory when you're scaling like that. You know, they often, I had a had a uh, venture capitalist tell me one time, he said, when you're scaling an inventory-based business, you need to set aside 14% of your revenue just for working capital. So if you're growing a million dollars a year, you need $140,000 in working capital just to finance the, the float of inventory under standard payment terms, that is. That's so, smart, yeah. Yeah. 
What do you think drove you to the different categories? Was it more chasing the opportunity or was it more fear that the one lane we're in might might run out, someone to diversify? What do you what a mixture of more of the latter. Okay. I mean, we really thought we could make a splash, maybe leveraging our our marketing momentum, uh, maybe just with good product. Um, so we were trying to kind of, you know, deploy the same strategy. Let's go against the big guys. So like in the seasoning business, it's McCormick, obviously. But in the seasoning world, they introduce slotting. So you're paying for the space. Uh, chef space, yeah. And there's so much more of a mountain to kind of get over financially. Um Really tough, tough hill to climb. Which goes to show you, for a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in the product business, I think the mindset is, man, if I just had a relationship or I could get in the door at Kroger or Publix or Whole Foods, like it would take off and I would crush it. But this is a good example. If you had the relationships and you were there, and even with that, those other product categories weren't necessarily some massive success just because you already had that. It's it still yep. comes down to the product and the market and and what you're doing at the end of the day. And the contracts too, you know, indemnification and liability yeah. and all these things. I mean, when you're we, we were we were a little bit foolish during that phase about those types of things. We didn't really get um hurt too bad, but a lot of these retailers will force charges on you. They'll try to return mm-hmm. goods to you. We call that, you know, product with wheels, you know, rolls back <laughs> yeah. to you. So, you know, I also called the, the CPG business kind of the hot potato business. People are trying to pass the buck of liability and, sure. and risk. Um, and oftentimes they put that down on the small business owner who doesn't really know because they're just eager to. Yeah, you're just happy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah let's go. Let's go. I'll yeah. take a picture and see myself in public. Exactly. 10 years trying to get here. Exactly. Let's say yes. Uh, and, it, and from the retail standpoint, it's interesting to hear you talk about, you know, just staying in our lane and, and staying in that kind of cedar plank area because I always felt like uh, from a retail standpoint, you always had to be changing and moving with the trends and developing. But it, it sounds like looking back on it, uh, it may have been better off just focusing and putting all your energy in where you were at. It, 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 it would have been because we weren't, you know, we were capitalizing the business ourselves. So, you know, I think if I, if I look back and say, what, what's the one thing I would have done differently, I probably would have more closely examined, like, how we capitalized the business during that, that growth phase. Um, because maybe we would have gone into other categories. Maybe we could have expanded, for instance, into having a stronger, like, website and selling in a direct-to-consumer model. Um, but... Oftentimes, money is not the solution. You know, you, you get a pile of money and you just start saying, oh, we can do all these things. And, and really, you have, to, you have to develop your processes and, and your criteria for how you're doing your business and why. And that takes time, you know. So, so you think some of the complexity, complexity of you developing all the multiple product lines, and again, now you got multiple relationships within the same organizations and there's a lot more stuff going on. So you're not just looking at what one product is moving. You got, oh, we're crushing it here, but we've got all these problem childs over here. Do you feel like the complexity killed your growth a little bit or, or messed you guys lot. up? And if you, on redoing that, so if we're talking to a younger version of Davis, do we say like, hey man, like focus on your optimal categories here. Don't try to become, don't, don't try to put a product on every shelf of Whole Foods. Is, what, what kind of advice would you give to your younger self? I mean, that's almost exactly what I would say. I mean, we we had we accepted every customer we could get. 
I mean, I counted in our database one day, and we had 30,000 bill twos. And I'm like, holy cow, how do I get 30,000 bill twos? I mean, some of those were just, you know, a person buying on our website, but a lot of different people to interact with. And so we really had no, you know, you know control around that. And that was problem number one. Problem number two was, yeah, the products and just we didn't have – we didn't have any kind of calculus for how we were deciding like which product should go out and which shouldn't, what we should buy. Like our inventory bloated through the roof and, you know, we're just kind of taking this risk without having a retailer commitment. So as we've kind of evolved over the years, we're like, okay, we're not going to buy that inventory until we have a major retailer. Okay. So more like beta testing the idea on, is this going to sell versus it just being like, gut we think this one's gonna sell we did a lot on gut okay. and that was that was a problem all right all right so hold on you just brought up a question around the young entrepreneur the young davis to to stay in your your category of success and don't spread too thin now let's let's approach this question a little bit to the entrepreneur in the room uh for me as an entrepreneur are you trying to make this about you oh again? i am this is every this freaking is where the free consulting comes in so, all right. So, this is the entrepreneur, in my opinion, Achilles Hill. The I see an opportunity, I go. I Chase say the yes. rabbit. I say yes, absolutely. And before you know it, you got thirty thousand different items out there, customers. How did you reel that back in? Because I know for a lot of us, once we start seeing success in business and learning how to do stuff, that leads to other businesses and other things. And here we are with more than we know what to do with. And man, I wish I could go back to just one lane. How did you? How did you get that back, and how did you go back the direction you needed to? It was hard because we had ar- we already had the relationships. So yeah. you know, I, I remember feeling all this guilt for like I've got to keep these relationships up. You know, these people yeah. are depending on us. So the first move we did in small business, we basically restricted credit. We said any small business that calls up, you're going to have to give us a credit card. So that kind of a lot of people that had terms weren't very happy about that, and they kind of went <laughs> other way, other ways. Um, you know, we stopped going to some of the trade shows. You know, we were really, we were marketing and creating the problem through our marketing. So we said, okay, we got enough customers. Why do we keep going to trade shows? You know, let's just slow down. And you just like going and meeting all those people. I man. guess like so. I, love, I love selling. You know? <laughs> it just becomes part of the routine. Or like, why are we going to this trade show and spending $10,000 or more just to, just to accomplish what we, we had enough to, to work with as it was. So. Yeah. But a lot of times when we went to the trade show, and this was kind of the fallacy, we're like, oh, we might meet Costco, or we might meet this one, you know, this one relationship that we're just going to really, really cherish. And yeah. so that became kind of the, you know, the fallacy of it all. But Well, and because you guys did have, I mean, part of your start was that, right? Like you're able to, not just by sheer luck, fighting for it, bulldog mentality, develop a relationship that was pivotal for you. So there's probably at least a part of it where if you've won the lottery before, you're kind of like, yeah, I think I'm going to buy yeah. another ticket. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's hard to break a habit like that, though, man. So you guys, I, I'm writing down here on my pad, uh, kill the sacred cow. Yeah. Trade shows for you guys were, were huge. At a certain point, you're like, we need to scale back from doing this thing that we love and we're good at. Well, the other thing we realized about that time was every time we went to a trade show, our competitors were seeing what we were doing. You know, they were watching what we were doing. and Because you guys aren't the small fry anymore. Right. And so we had a competitor pop up in the growing plank world that's still out there, and they were following us very closely. 
we had uh, one of the top guys at McCormick started following us, and later I got to know him personally, and he told me, he said, yes, I was following you very closely, and I had your products on my shelf. So it's just, it, it's kind of funny as you kind of fast forward through all this, you start to, you start to realize, yeah, you're, you're making a bigger splash than you might realize, and that, uh, that can be a negative. So, yeah, you don't want to see them, they don't, you, you don't want them to see you coming when you've got the, the next yeah. great idea or the next great marketing approach, you know, to something. So, you know. That's so funny, man. You went from being the guy studying everybody else to somebody that people were studying. You know, I mean, you yeah. I don't do. know to what extent, but so when uh, you start, when you start finding success and you're like, yeah, you know, at a certain point you're the the kid that showed up to play basketball on the street corner and nobody knew about and they're like, "Oh, this kid was better than I thought." And then a couple months later, you're the guy that people are coming to watch. I mean, it's just kind of the way it goes if you find some success, which you guys obviously did. So, you went back in, into hiding, no more trade shows or limited your trade shows. Yeah, limited them a lot. So, and we also started getting out of um we, we really changed our business post the the Great Recession, closed down our warehouse, started outsourcing stuff, tried to really simplify the business just operationally uh, from a product mix, customer mix. Um, and that took us many years to kind of move through that and start to reap the benefits of, of that. Um, you can just imagine like all the, the – we were an asset light business to start, but we had assets with the, with the warehouse that had to get disposed of and all that sure. kind of stuff. So. Um, you say that so casually, so easily, but I'm imagining in the process of altering your business model, there's also this painstaking piece to it. I'm assuming you're like, I think this is going to work and be right, but there's got to be at least a level of doubt yeah. there too, because you're not yes. giving up a lot of control. Yeah. Of oh yeah. What's in your hands yes. now has got to come from somewhere or somebody else. Yes. And that, that remains, it's, um, it's tough to do. One of my sayings is it's tough to be the marketer and the maker. You know, so how do you do both really well? Well, most, most you know, businesses kind of lean one way or the other, and most CEOs are going to lean one way or the other. They're either going to be the market or promoter, or they're going to really be the expert, the maker of whatever it is, the product or service they deliver. And for us, you know, we started to realize that, quite honestly, even the marketing side, we had to kind of pull back. We're like, people wanted us to to tell them where the product, you know, like what the vision was for the category. Where are we going with the category? So in in the world of charcoal, that's basically, and this is, it's fast forwarding to this this day and age where people are starting to hear more about fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. And so our, our biggest competitor using a lot of fossil fuels in their, in their product. And so we started to realize like some of these beliefs we had on day one were starting to really propagate forward into something that was meaningful in how we applied our, our vision to a product line. You know, going and developing fire starters that are USDA bio-preferred certified and FSC certified and, and, and petroleum-free and even carbon neutral in that they use biomass. So we've done some of those things since then. We're like, holy cow, you know, this is, uh, this is just going back to our roots and focusing on what we already believe, what we already know, and not overcomplicating with too much marketing and having to do all the logistics and all this kind of stuff. It's just continuing to, um, you know, solve a problem for the, the end consumer that they may not even realize they have yet. Oh, yeah, Henry Ford's statement on that, right? So if I, <laughs> if I asked my customers what they wanted, they'd have said a faster horse. Yeah, that's right. You know, he's inventing something that people don't even want yet, but he knows that the, the visionary, visionary in him sees that this is a better option for these people, even though they're not asking for it yet. Which comes back to the, the simple side of caring about what you put in your body and, and better for you. helping educate uh, 
the general public around what you're eating and what you're doing as a person and caring about the environment we're all living in and the community exactly. we're in. And I think you've been able to merge those two things. And, and, and what's so impressive is stay with it through all the growth and all the success. And I know for comes back to that entrepreneur of saying yes or seeing all the glitz and glamour behind the different directions to go, getting away from that. And you and Jenna didn't. You were able to stay into your beliefs and, and what you want from a personal standpoint and a personal passion of uh, of eating healthy and an environment. And the things Man, that trip to Africa even. changed you. That's what I'm thinking. You're a bottom line CFO who's <laughs> ever here talking about <laughs> making sure the environment stays fresh and loving the animals and what you're putting in your body. Take care. I came back, I came back a different person. You're That's a different right. Person. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. right. But but it, it is because at the end of the day, when it comes down to, to, I'm guessing some of the new product development, some of the things you're doing, it's probably more expensive. It is. I mean, um, and, and that's where you have to kind of look at it on the product level first. Like, is this product really ready? Can we price it in a in a you know a paradigm that's close enough to where our competition or you know the competitive product is? And usually that's within kind of twenty five percent of of the retail um, of the competitor, because you want consumers to take a leap, but only so far. You know, you don't. Yeah. And you also, I think one of the things we've kind of learned is you really can't market to educate. You have to market to drive awareness. And Cedar Planks, people were educated by restaurateurs about those. You know, so we're kind of following the trends of what's already happening. And obviously the environment is a big, sustainability is a big topic these days. So that's got me, that's got my ears perked up. Like, okay, what, maybe now's the time to strike. And really promotes things that we already have developed or things that we've had, you know, kind of on the shelf waiting for the right time. Which, which I want to, I want to learn a little more the hero grill concept. Um, I think there's two problems here. There's the, the sustainability side and the environment side. And then there's also the outdoors person of how the heck do we carry something and cook something and carry it back <laughs> without burning a hole in our boat or whatever it may be. Um, tell us a little bit about that product in that category and uh, sure. what y'all have done there. First of all, I had so much fun developing that because it was the first product where I was like, all right, I'm going to develop something for an outdoorsman, not yes. just for a cook. I was like, okay, <laughs> this, all is, coming this is going to be, this is, I was like, all right, yeah. this is going to be something that I'm going to love. And so it really, we wrote down three wor- words. We said simple, clean, portable. So okay. we started examining charcoal grilling and, and just seeing how those three things aren't really solved by most charcoal grills, especially portable grills. And, um, God, it was so much fun because there was only, uh, you know, you think about it, you, you're, you're carrying fire somewhere and then you have to carry ash back generally. And so there were so many little things to And it has through. to work while it's there. It has that's to work. Whole, yeah. Yeah. And yeah so, it's good if it functions right, you know, for that's right. Purpose. That's right. So, um, you know, I partnered with uh, another Athens company to develop that product. And, uh, you know, they partnering with those engineers to the industrial mechanical engineers and going through that. It was the first time I had ever called on a group like that to kind of help express my ideas. And it was just like Nirvana. I loved it. I loved going through that process because they had they I had a vision and then they brought this idea to it. and. Um, yeah, we, we literally met, and I want to say it was three months later we were filing a patent. 
No way. Yeah. So we had we had already concepted and kind of validated this this idea, which um, I I can try to describe it as much as possible. I, I can also give you kind of the marketing slogan for, for the Hero Grill, but um, um, Hero the Hero Grill was the first uh, grill that makes um, portable grilling simple, clean, and portable. It uses a biodegradable uh, self-contained charcoal pod. Um, which captures the mess of grilling. Okay. So it packs up into a, a durable carry case that's under 10 pounds, and it's a dishwasher-friendly uh, rust-proof grill. So you, you, we're throwing in a lot of features and benefits with that pitch. But, you know, obviously people, when they hear that, are like, I don't have a mess. I can carry it. It's instant light, and it's uh, biodegradable. So the, the pod that we actually developed has three components in it, so it's it's basically a corrugate box. Mm-hmm. Inside of that box is um, uh, what's called a per. It's perlite, which is uh, silicious rock. It's um, it's the stuff you find in potting soil, the white stuff that you okay. see in potting soil. Uh, it's used for aeration in soil. So that same you know property of that um, of that rock is what makes it insulatory. So we were able to create fire in a box by putting charcoal on top of a perlite form. And furthermore, we developed a briquette formulation that uses uh, a natural oxidizing mineral instead of uh, petroleum-based, um, you know, ignition agents. So, and you just healthier. reuse the structure of it and buy new pods buy new, every time. Buy new charcoal or pods. So the pods, if you want to just kind of ditch the mess, you can yeah. buy new pods. If you want to reuse the pods, you buy more. Plus, charcoal. you can do both. Both. Oh, that's really cool. That's right. All right, now the, so you're selling the product that's reusable. Yes. Are you also selling the product that I have to purchase again? Or is that coming from somewhere, somewhere else? Yeah, we're, we're all of the above. So we're selling right. you the grill. It yeah. comes with a charcoal so Basically, he's pie. making money like over that's and over That's one of the questions. Ultimately, yeah. like, like, I'm going to sell you and you're going to keep mine from yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, because, again, that's a great business model where you're able to sell a product. And it's a product that, again, nobody was going out looking for this product. There was a pain or a problem that people might face, but they would, they didn't know this product existed. So not only are you selling the solution, like, hey, once you buy this, You'll be able to solve that problem. Yeah, but you also, um, you need. This is the other part that you need. We also manufacture it, so every piece of this comes straight from cool, you guys. Yeah. And yeah, it's from amazing. Our, yes, yeah. yes, it's coming from your brand. Oh yeah, and it's like a win five yeah. different ways. So you're not on. So <laughs> well, here's the interesting thing with it too. This is what I love, and it goes back to something we said earlier. You're not building your relationship with your client off of a one-time product. You're building a relationship with your client off something they continue to buy from you, and so it gives you a chance to consistently produce right so hey i produced the one-time product for you but like next time you go back to the store and buy this piece for this next experience like you're just providing the whole deal i just i love the 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 client story customer story and again this was one for you too because again correct me if i'm wrong here we we talk about often where the best entrepreneurs solve a problem that they as the customer have yes Right. And so this one's yours though. Because you're Mr. <laughs> Outdoors. I like to go, yeah. you know, experience nature. This was your product. You needed this. Oh yeah. Is this the first one that was really like ultimately hundred percent like this was this was a product for Davis? And it was the first hard good that we developed, you know, that was a, a true hard good because we've we've talked to the years about developing a, a, a full size grill and we just we didn't do it for a, a myriad of reasons. But when we looked at, at portable grills, we we're like, Well, you know, all the big brands aren't really focusing on this category. It was kind of asleep. And that's what drew us to it. But, um, but yeah, it, it was for me. I developed it for me. And now it's, you know, when I look at it and I try to explain it to people and sell it, 
you know, it's been interesting because the risk in, in, in launching this product is that people need to be educated. Yeah. You know, like I'm educating you guys right now. I can only do that so much, right? It, yeah. it has to kind of be uh, obvious from the, the retail presence, the, the packaging that I put around it, what it is and what it's for. Um, so we're, you know, we're still evolving through that, but we've, we've had some, some retailers pick it up that are helping with that. So that's kind of nice. That's awesome. So, so yeah. the cool thing, Chad, with this is that Davis got his stage time back in high school with the DJ <laughs> business. And now full circle, you know, he'll have Davis Knocks Outdoors. He'll be on, that, I don't know, that, that, that Chip and Joanna Gaines TV channel network station. I'm sure he'll find his way on that somehow. And that's the cool thing about it is uh, you've made something that's solved a problem and very functional for the person that loves the outdoors and in the sporting industry. And what do those people care about the environment and, and what they're out there experiencing. So it's like, it's just the best of both worlds and putting that together, I think is, yeah, that's, it's just creating a win. Like I said, five different ways all the way around. And that's really cool to see you able to develop that, harness that. And I can't, I'm just shocked. It happened so fast that y'all ready to bring it. <laughs> hey, so, so, so did this, did this get launched pre COVID or is this something this? Uh, happened yeah, it in the did. Process? We, um, we, we, okay. So we filed the patent in three months. It took us about a year after that to actually turn it into a full product. Okay. So developing yeah. all the retail packaging and that kind of stuff. Uh, we launched, I want to say, um, yeah, it was about six months before COVID if I remember okay. correctly. So yeah, I think it was in the fall, the, the prior fall. Which I assume probably turned out to be a good time but with people going back to more outdoor activity and being isolated to doing more hiking and camping and fishing. And yeah, it, it definitely it definitely sold through the pandemic and before yeah. the pandemic. We launched it kind of during the gift season. Um, so we were on a lot oh, yeah. of different uh, dot-coms. Like um, one of my favorites is Huckberry. I don't know if you've ever been on that that site. Yeah, it's a great check for, that out. Yeah, hey, so was this still were you guys still yeah. just operating as wholesale for this, or y'all, or have you sold this direct to consumer? Uh, both. And so okay. with that product, we were trying to kind of take a, a bigger approach towards direct to consumer in our website, and we started investing in resources to kind of market on our website and build that that email list and um, and do all that kind of stuff, which has been fun. I mean, it's it's. Uh, it's working. It's it's still, you know, you, you try to get all those eyeballs coming and you're basically just paying for them through Google and Facebook and all these all these other different advertising platforms. So. I got to know because I've, I've, you and I've talked about this product before, but I have never seen like the packaging for the product. Oh, I should have brought one in The today. secret though on the beginning was using Jenna on Maybe I should put her on that one. Well, yeah. I was wondering if you were on it. I'm <laughs> not. Fly, uh, yeah, I'm he's not. Fly Fisher Davis is on it. I just didn't know if you guys, you know, going back to the old bag of tricks, put yourself on that thing and roll with it. Well, hey, what was it like, though, from the standpoint of, again, this is this is a phenomenal pro- This The idea is just awesome. Like, when you explain it, it's like, that's really cool. Like, you just, it just, Capture it feels so like it fixes an issue, right? Where did, was that, did you have some point, Davis, where it was like, I got it with this idea. I just want to know about the the, the idea. I'm the epiphany. Guy. Yes. The yeah, like, where yeah, were you yeah, at? Did, when did it happen? Yeah. You were like, yeah. I got it. I got yeah. it. Yeah. You remember? Well, it it was pretty. It was, I remember it was in that first three months, and uh, I can't take all the credit because obviously I had an engineering team help me with that. Um, trying to remember, like I, I know that uh, you know when you're a gearhead like me, you're constantly studying materials and different stuff, and so there were things that I that I knew I wanted in it. And it was kind of fun to put all those together, like a ceramic coated aluminum grill, like ceramic ceramic coatings of stuff that's on kind of a nonstick cooking pan. 
And so that was one of my first curiosities was like, why is this not used in barbecue grills? You know, and how do we make it nonstick and rust proof? So it was kind of a multitude of epiphanies. But um, I think when it all came down to it and we realized that we could actually create a fire that was hot enough, you know, because you got to get to a searing temperature to really make it meaningful. And um, when we were testing the, some of the charcoal stuff that we had developed and saw what it did and how it, how it could cook a steak like out in the middle of nowhere, that's when I was like, holy cow, we can package this up. And But the hardest part was like, who am I selling this to now? You know, it's like, am I going to sell it to the guy who lives, the guy or gal who lives in an apartment who wants to get onto the park and grill? Or am I going to sell it to the outdoorsman who I developed it for in the first place? And we quickly found that it was like, we need to just sell to the, to the people that don't even cook as it is, because that's a bigger market than just the guy who's going on a camping weekend. Um, so I think that was the greatest epiphany, That's and we're still good. trying to pivot. Who the product's for? Who the product's for? Because it's bigger than you once thought. Yeah, because right? I was like, okay, this you is just going to be. You made a product be, for this guy. Yeah, for the hunt camp or for going out you on a put boat. It in my boat, yeah. That's oh, what yeah. I, I'm like, you put it in my boat and right. got to haul so, all this stuff with me. I forgot to get it back. The original idea, once you're like, you get to that point, the epiphany is like, oh my gosh, I just made something bigger than I thought. That's that's what the way I felt about it. I was like, oh, okay, this so can cool. store easily in anyone's kitchen. You don't even have to have a big patio to grill. It's generally smokeless charcoal, too. So once you start it, it's not producing a, a major oh, smoke. Man. So if you're living in a in a This you is know, like the George condo. Foreman of the 2020s. He is, <laughs> he is George Foreman. <laughs> Get you some boxing gloves <laughs> on that thing, He's got man. a signature on there. Oh, yeah. This is awesome. I mean, but, yeah, you're saying that. Not in, in my head, it's popped up. I was like, oh, yeah, like certain tailgating events. Yeah. Right, bring it with you, right? And that's a whole other audience, a whole other market. Yeah, that's awesome. So, all right, one more question for you on this. Because we all, we've heard the thing before about like failure and, you know, Thomas Edison failed a thousand times. What was it like for you emotionally? Because going through like trying different things that didn't work. Yep. Versus like, were you ever like, I'm not going to find it? Did every time you tried something that didn't work, did it, was it like, distressing or anything like, with the hero or with with any of the products with, with well specifically with hero because i know yeah. i feel like your passion with that one was probably a little stronger than the others because it's the others it's the the probably the passion we the three of us would share for like building a product or building a business yeah but i know on this level for this one again because like this this one has a direct fix in your own life with what yes. you love and enjoy so that i would feel like the passion is a little different uh, not to say it's stronger but going through that process for that product in particular what was it like did you have these moments where you're like, was, was, were the failures, quote unquote, were the finding of things that didn't work, were they really, really painful? You know, not, not as much with this product. It was kind of, it, it just, it was awesome how this thing came together because most things do not work that way. You know, usually you're, you're dealing with a logistical issue, like how you ship it, or you're dealing with a quality issue. Um, and so we just moved through this kind of miraculously. Um, I credit the the engineering team that I used mostly for that because they are so detailing. This goes back to what I said earlier in the conversation about partnering with the operators, the people that really know um, how to deliver a product at a at a high quality level. So, I mean, and that was the first time experience for me having people of that you know of that uh, quality um, alongside me. But um, I think. You know, and this is where I'm still evaluating the level of failure because it's kind of ongoing. Pricing. So they always talk about when you launch a product, you have the four P's, price, promotion, placement, and product. 
And price, you know, what someone's willing to pay for something, well, that's a function of, you know, the problem you're solving for them, typically, right? And so I'm still nervous. I'm very nervous about this to this day because it's like, you know, as you go to sell it, you you have to set that price. And we did with cedar planks in the beginning. It was like, is this worth $5 or yeah. is it worth, worth yeah, $10? you got a product that don't exist. Yeah, that gets, right. How do you that's price something harder. that... Don't it exist. doesn't exist. I don't have any competition. Yeah. And it's a harder question to answer when, when, so the epiphany you mentioned earlier, when you realize it's four more people. Exactly. Because the guy that's yeah. grilling on his patio of his apartment is different than the guy that's in Colorado fly fishing. Right. Oh. And yes, yeah, so like, am I selling to the Walmart shopper or am I selling to the Target shopper oh, yeah. or am I selling to the, mm-hmm. the gear shopper on the specialty gear site? You know, so I, that part is so, it's so incumbent on the entrepreneur who's who's got the product and the brand to get that right the first time and to be focused around who the person is and yeah. what's the price. Is there a comparable product on the market for this? Um, no, there's not. I mean, there's um, there's which, obviously a lot of portable grills, but, which makes this part yeah. harder. Yes. It yeah, does. but also too is such a great <laughs> time, I would think. And, and and I guess backing up a little bit before we started the podcast today. I got on Fire and Flavor site and I was specifically interested in the grill. Um, I saw a video when it was being made, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago about the grill and learned yeah. some of the background behind it. I was really excited and I haven't thought about it until today, until you were coming in. So I looked at the price and it was shockingly to me lower than I thought it would be. See, and I developed it for you then. So, I yeah. Mean, so from, I, a, I from a gear standpoint... Uh, that I was like, oh, wow, this is way more affordable. But I think the cool thing, probably with the timing of this, is we're in the day right now where people are paying $300 for a cooler. I know. And $90 for a cup to put a drink in from their $300 cooler. So, uh, Well, I'll, I'll tell the quick story of that because when we had the prototype in November before I had the product, like the packaging, yeah. I showed up at the Innovation Center over in Atlanta for Home Depot. And the guy came out, the buyer, and, and he was blown away. I cooked the burgers for him and, you know, the whole story. And he invites his buyer <laughs> I'm out. I'm kind of upset. There's not burgers cooking in front of us right now. <laughs> I know. There should be, shouldn't there? <laughs> but he, he had a price in mind. He was like, $50. You got to include these things. And he was mm. guiding me. I think it was maybe it was 59 or 50 bucks, something like that. And I was kind of like, ooh, heart, yeah, heartburn instantly. And yeah. so, you know, here I had Home Depot. And I'm like, okay. What do I do? Do I do I pivot the product or do I keep going towards my own vision? Yeah. Well, long story short, we kept to our price. We kept our vision. We ended up not getting Home Depot because I didn't bend on the price. And but we did end up getting Lowe's. And Lowe's ended up we developed a model that was kind of that didn't have all the parts and pieces. It didn't oh, have the case. Yeah. The carrying That's case. That's really cool. Yeah. And we launched that with Lowe's Home Improvement. But I think what I'm still I'm still in the process of learning this is maybe I shouldn't have even done that. Maybe I should have really kept it at a very elevated price with only one option. Because when people come to something that's so new and then you give them two choices, their head just spins off their chest. They don't decision fatigue. Decision they don't pull fatigue. the trigger cuz they don't know. Yeah. They don't know. You know. That's interesting. So, yeah. That's you know, you ask what my fa- failures I feel like that's the constant you know, feedback loop yeah. that I'm in. So we got a accountant, CFO sitting beside us here. What I think is interesting and people miss out on a business, especially if they're not entrepreneurs, if they're not business owners, is they have no idea. Things, what you're talking about right now, how emotional it is. It is. It is so emotional. Even with coming up with a price for your product. It's like, well, it's just math. It's like, 
No, it's not. It's, it's not. like psychology and emotion. There's so much of that of the feeling that goes into it, and you can try to back it up with some type of analytics or math or data, but it comes down to it, man. You're making an emotional decision. If I price it for this, is it going to sell? If I if I make one product or two products, is it? You know, there's all these decisions that, to some level, we do want to test them out to make sure they're good. But there is that level of gut, like I'm going to go with this idea at least on the front end, yeah. and see if it works. And that's the hardest part, in my opinion, the hardest part about being an entrepreneur is that oh, yeah. is feeling like I might have screwed up big time and you're trying to go to sleep at night when you're, you're, this decision's on your mind, you know? And it's, it's just really difficult for the guy that just started out. You're 20 years into this thing. This is still yeah. hard stuff, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the two hardest things with Hero was coming up with the name and coming up with the price. I would have yeah. went with a Davis Knox grill, personally. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with, the I would, sing, with the signature. <laughs> if my name was Davis Knox, everything I ever did would say Davis Knox. So I'm using I my mean, Davis Knox. You guys are going to have to be my best friend going forward. Best friends. <laughs> we're your hype guys. We're sales guys. guys. <laughs> Which I, I will say, kind of back to what you mentioned there, and, and probably the biggest tip I could ever share with our audience, uh, because of that emotion and because of – the passion and the care of what we're developing entrepreneurs and products. I know for most of us, me especially, my first 10 years in business, I underpriced everything. Yep. Like it just Because you just you, want the sale. You do. You want the sale and you want people to be happy and you want it to be right. And you want them to, the customer to feel value in what they're getting. And so you just underprice everything. And it's such a hard, you're right. I mean, even for me, I'm a numbers guy. I'm, I'm like the black and white. I, I know the formulas. Like oh that seems like too much. Yeah, I can't, it's emotional. I can't do that or, oh, it is emotional. So it's oh you helped me a lot with this. And when me and Chad came together as business partners, I'd be like, I just man, I would struggle so much more on the pricing thing. And I'd say something to him, be like, this is probably what they ought to do. But again, his level of knowledge was much different than mine. He's an accountant, so he sees like lots of companies' revenue. So he's making assumptions I don't have the data to assume. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, what do we do? Here? <laughs> you know, it's it's gut wrenching for sure. So we've talked about two to three things that you really focus on and you're really passionate about. You, you called it the three E's. We, we've talked about the environment and some of the things you're doing there. We've talked about, obviously, the entrepreneur side. The third E is education it, and comes back to some things you've done here locally and things you believe in and even the reason the podcast exists here is to, to educate it, it, and things uh, from the entrepreneur and all the way down, as we all know, the, the more we can educate our following generations and that younger uh, entrepreneur business owner, uh, the more successful we're all going to be. What what led you down that path? And, and tell us a little bit about what you've done here in Athens, because I'm really curious about Athens Made and some of the things that you've built and that goes on there. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, you know, my uh, my family has a has a history of supporting public education. We kind of yeah. believe that uh, you know public education is the backbone of our democracy. And as I as I've kind of become an entrepreneur, I've I've just seen firsthand that we need to put that curiosity in our children at an early age that they can that they can have vision themselves that they can create and solve problems or or, or they can create solutions for common problems that they see and develop products and this kind of stuff. So we're always encouraging our kids to look for entrepreneurial things to do and start to understand the value of money and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, two things I'll, I'll kind of speak on. One, uh, locally, um, Josh and I, as we mentioned earlier, were involved in the Chamber of Commerce um, for many years. And uh, a group of us got together and, and said, why don't we invite in a group that we saw that wasn't at the table? And we kind of 
I, I shouldn't even put a label on them, but we called them the creative class. You know, we said we know a lot of creative people that aren't really uh, as in, engaged as we want them to be. And they're oftentimes were some of the most inspiring people that we saw in the community. Um, so this doesn't directly tie into public education, but, you know, we, we were saying to ourselves as a community, if we had these people more involved in our lives, how much better our lives would be as business people and just as, as people in the community. And um, so Athens made came out of the ground, you know, after a, a quick meeting where I called 30 or so entrepreneurs together that I, that I really respected and said, guys, we got to we got to do a little something to get you guys engaged. And I, I tossed out the idea of starting a little nonprofit. And uh, the whole the whole idea was really based around economic development. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, you know, if we can if we can recruit businesses here or encourage businesses to start here and start to develop an identity, how wonderful our community would be just from an artistic standpoint and from, you know, just everything that really adds, adds color to a community. And that struck a nerve with so many people in the room um, because we all pretty much knew that the, the story of Athens needed, needed a refresh. And um, so that, uh, that started in, um, trying to think what year that was that was 2000 i want to say that was 2016 does that sound right josh something like that um okay um but we formed a board we partnered with uh the the um athens clark county economic development department they were one of our early um um sponsors and we we you know raised money from local business entrepreneurs and and um also local philanthropists but we went to him saying, this is not a professional development club or, or membership group. This was more about creating a rising tide and developing a story. And um, it was so much fun. I mean, I look back on that and I think about the relationships I built, the people that I know through that, and also the people that I got introduced to one another. I mean, many of them have gotten into business together, and I'm like, yes, that's something to do with that. I introduced those people, and that... Um, you know, kind of rolling forward with that story, we ultimately we ended up merging it with another nonprofit here in Athens called For Athens, which was started um, a lot focused around the technology um, sector. And we at that same time partnered with the University of Georgia and their entrepreneurship program. So it's kind of propagating forward uh, in that posture. And uh, it's also closely aligned to the UGA Innovation District and the Innovation Hub that's um, that's coming out of the ground, which also had the um, had the privilege of serving on that kind of uh, visioning board in the beginning. And there's so many wonderful things to come on, on that front too here in our community. So for those that don't know about the Innovation Hub, please look it up. That's exciting, exciting for Athens. And and when we're, we're talking to our audience and people are curious about Athens Made, is it just for that creative entrepreneur or is it for anybody in business or? What 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 is Athens made looking for right now as a membership or a following or, or continuing to grow? Well, uh, a- Athens made is now led by Ashley Steele. I believe both of you guys know Ashley, mm-hmm. but um, they have a number of programs. I encourage you guys just to go to AthensMade.com and 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 learn about those because I'm not as up to date lately about all their programs. But I know it's centered a lot around community and, and mentorship and networking and and this kind of stuff, which is how we started. Uh, our, our initial start as kind of the founding group of, of Athens Made was getting out a lot of those stories 
And so we would have kind of these, you know, events where you could come out and see, you know, how they make chocolate at Condor Chocolate or beer at, uh, you know, Creature Comforts and this kind of stuff. Um, but it's not just for the creative entrepreneur. I, I think that, you know, there's creativity that's, that's woven into all of entrepreneurship. But if you don't have those people, you know, in the community that you're trying to tap into, then, you know, you're just not, you're not getting as far as you need to go. It's so cool, man, that you've done that. And I think that's kind of full circle too, for what just Davis Knox, the entrepreneur, you're a lot of times entrepreneurs that get so focused on their business that that becomes like, I'm almost like maybe a mini idol, you know, they're kind of just putting their whole life around that. And you've been able to be, again, I think I said earlier, a holistic entrepreneur that you're in the community, you're focused not on just on your business, but how can I empower the other entrepreneurs that are in the community? You're focused on the environment. And so full scale, you know, you're, you're creating a world, you're creating a, a community, um, an opportunity for your kids to grow up in an area that you're, you're helping to make better. Like you said, it, it was fun too, just seeing your facial expression. Like You're like, man, I hope those two guys get connected. And me and Jack can sense the joy that, that truly oh, yeah. that brings you. You can kind of feel it across the room. But you are the, the term we use a lot, and again, I think me and Chad are really on this now, is like, how can we make Athens as a business community stronger? You know, And so you were leading the charge on that before, uh, before we ever showed up to kind of ride the wave you created, man. So just overall, as an entrepreneur, you've been an inspirational guy to, to be around uh, as a community member, the same. I know I'm appreciative of the work you've done. It was cool for me too, having kind of the front row seat because of the chamber. And I could see it in his face, man, at the meetings. He's like, you could see like your the wheels were turning. But you're like, <laughs> chamber's awesome and stuff, but there was a there was an opportunity, there was a need in the community that nobody was nobody was fulfilling the need there. Nobody was solving that problem. And you helped lead a charge that I, I feel like has made Athens stronger when it comes to the business community. So uh thanks, man. Thank for you. real. Like, Thank awesome you guys. You, you guys are so so nice. I'm just like all the all the compliments you're giving are not not quite. Uh, I don't think I deserve them all, but thank you very much, and I appreciate you guys having me on the show. It's been really cool. It's been educational for me, and and learned a lot, and got to to know your story more yeah, and learn more about you. Absolutely, forget lunch, dude. We need to go fishing <laughs> and let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like try this grill. You said <laughs> one of your favorite things is teaching on the fishing side. Absolutely. So, uh, Teach me how to grill and teach me more about how to fish. Let's uh, do it. Sounds like a much better outing than just Let's doing do it. Hey, man, I just want to learn the secrets of this DJ business. That's where I'm going <laughs> to Oh, man, I, I like it. But but it's it's been awesome, man. It, it's so valuable for our audience and for Athens. And you just continue to give back your time and energy. And it, it means a lot. And just appreciate you being here and look forward to catching up more. Yeah, man. I, I just want to say again, thank you guys for what you're doing. This is awesome. And there's nothing better than just telling the stories of entrepreneurship. It's That's about the greatest thing you could do to get more entrepreneurs involved in this community. So thank you. Awesome. Well, how do, how do people find you? How do they find Fire and Flavor? Uh, sure. Um, our website's fireandflavor.com. So you can go there and find our products and where to find us in stores. And um, I believe right now we have a back to school promotion too going that has a code of school for 20% off. Look at that. that. That's You're right. Chad's language now, man. Now we're getting a little Just discount. Down. I like it. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, well, thank you, man. It's been a lot of fun, and I want to do this again soon. Let's do it. All right, guys. If you're a fan of the Entrepreneur Adventure podcast, we would love to hear about it. You can leave us a review right here on your favorite podcast app. You can subscribe to the podcast, or you can find us on Instagram at The Entrepreneur Adventure. Until next time, thank you for joining us.